1: Good morning, my name is Chris, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the conference call regarding Stelco's second quarter results for 2021. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star, then the number two. Thank you, Mr. Harris, you may begin your conference.
2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Stelco's Quarterly Earnings Conference Call. Speaking on the call today, to discuss our second quarter results for 2021 will be Alan Kestenbaum, our Executive Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Paul Scherzer, our Chief Financial Officer. Yesterday, after the market closed, we issued a press release overviewing Stelco's financial results for the second quarter of 2021. This press release, along with the company's financial statements and management's discussion and analysis, have been posted on Cedar and on our Investor Relations website at investors.stelco.com. We have provided a link to the presentation referenced on today's call on our website as well. I'd like to inform everyone that comments made on today's call may contain forward-looking statements which involve assumptions which have inherent risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially from the statements made today, so do not place undue reliance upon them. Stelco management disclaims any obligation to update forward-looking statements except as required by law. With that in mind, I would ask everyone on today's call to read the legal disclaimers on page two of the accompanying earnings presentation, and also refer to the risks and assumptions outlined in SELCO's public disclosures. In particular, the second quarter 2021 management's discussion and analysis sections relating to forward-looking information and risk and uncertainties, as well as our filings with Securities Commission's in Canada. The appendix of our presentation and the non-IFRS performance measures and review of non-IFRS measures of our MD&A provide definitions and reconciliations of the non-IFRS measures that we will use today. Please also note that all dollar figures referred to in today's call will be in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. Following today's prepared remarks, Alan and Paul will be taking questions. To maximize efficiencies, we would ask that all participants who would like to ask a question, please limit themselves to one question and one follow-up question before requeuing. With that, I would like to turn the call over to Alan.
3: Thank you, Trevor, and good morning, everyone. Today, Paul and I would like to share with you some of the details regarding Stelco's second consecutive record-setting quarter. During our first quarter call, we shared with you our collective optimism and offered some guidance regarding the outstanding earnings potential of Stelco for 2021. We are delivering on those expectations. We have worked tirelessly for the last four years to build a business that is capable of generating cash and returning value to our shareholders at every stage of the market cycle. Our investments in new technology to diversify our product base and improve the overall efficiency of our business are paying dividends not only towards our bottom line but to our shareholders as well. As you can see from our results, we are capitalizing on our investments in our operations maximizing production through our tactical fl- flexibility model and fully capitalizing on the tremendous opportunity presented by the strong and still-improving steel market. Just this morning, about an hour ago, the CRU hit yet another record by increasing by $21 per ton to U.S. dollars $1,884 per net ton for a hot-rolled coil. With record revenue in excess of $900 million for the quarter, we have done an exceptional job of translating those gains directly to our bottom line by generating $380 million in adjusted net income and $410 million in adjusted EBITDA. These results, combined with even better performance this current quarter and favorable bookings into Q4, position us well to deliver on the expectations we set. We continue to build momentum and capitalize on improving pricing, strong customer demand in our key end markets, low customer inventories, and the low cost position we have created for our business. But we are not done. We are continuing to find ways to drive down our costs, in part by executing the remaining components of our strategic capital plan that we expect to conclude in the coming months, and that will further improve our efficiency, enhance our cost structure, and advance us along our path to reduced carbon emissions. The upgrade of our Lake Erie Works Coke battery is continuing and on track to be completed in the fourth quarter of this year. Once complete, it is our expectation that the strategic upgrades made to the Coke battery will not only increase our production capability by up to 50,000 met tons of Coke, but will lower our production costs even further. At the same time, construction of our new 65 megawatt cogeneration facility is well underway and scheduled to be operational in the second quarter of 2022. Our partnership with DTE Energy Services will deliver a state-of-the-art facility that will reduce our electricity costs, enhance our energy reliability, and further reduce our carbon footprint. In the current market, Stelco is extremely well positioned to continue our strong financial performance and take full advantage of our operating structure. We have employed a strategy to modernize our primary operations and take full advantage of best-in-class technology from around the world, such as the commissioning of North America's only smart blast furnace. Additionally, as you can see on page four of our earnings presentation, Stelco's implied average cost across all of our products is lower than what our electric arc furnace competitors pay just for scrap, which is, of course, their primary raw material. This demonstrates a sizable cost advantage for Stelco against its EAF steelmaker competitors. With more and more steelmakers planning to transition to EAF steelmaking in the coming years, there will continue to be increasing demand pressure on what is a relatively fixed North American scrap market. Combined with our modernized, integrated assets and a reliable and favorably priced long-term supply of key raw materials, we view this as a growing cost advantage for our business. We have now shown that our investments and our strategy are delivering results and have opened the door to sizable future opportunities. We have come a long way in the last four years and have established Stelco as not only a low-cost fuel maker in North America, but also as an attractive investment For shareholders over the course of this quarter we have deployed our strategy effectively and have been very successful at translating favorable market opportunities to success on our bottom line by converting 92 percent of our EBITDA into net income and 75 percent of our EBITDA into operating free cash flow as a result we have (coughs) replenished and are continuing to build our cash balance we have paid off our revolver and we have put our business in position where we can reward our loyal and valued shareholders by implementing the beginning of a capital allocation strategy through doubling our quarterly dividend to 20 cents per share. I am pleased that we are in this position and excited for what the future holds as we work towards completing our strategic capital plan and begin to realize the full potential of the powerful business we have created. With that, I would ask Paul to provide some additional comments regarding our exceptional financial performance this quarter. Thanks, Alan. And good morning, everyone. Throughout the second quarter,
0: we remained focused on capitalizing on the opportunities presented by the market and not only increased our shipment levels slightly, but successfully converted extremely favorable pricing directly to our bottom line. While our average selling price increased by 35% from the first quarter, we delivered more than a 200% improvement in net income and $410 million of adjusted EBITDA, a 122% improvement over the first quarter. Of course, these figures are in part a result of the continued escalation in pricing through the period, but equally a result of our ability to maintain our low-cost position and fully capitalize on the opportunities presented to us. As noted in our presentation, our implied average cost across our entire product mix remained constant during the quarter as a result of our employees' collective determination to operate our facilities efficiently and at a high level of productivity. This focus on reducing costs and maximizing margins has contributed greatly to the success of our business through the first half of 2021 and remains a focus area for our entire management team. When we compare our level of success to that of our reporting peers, it becomes even more evident that our success is driven by more than record price levels. Our adjusted EBITDA margin of 45% is about 20 percentage points higher than the average margin reported by our flat-rolled peers. Our comparative success is not an accident. It is a result of a focused and deliberate effort to be a low cost producer and to drive market opportunities right down to the bottom line where our shareholders obtain the greatest benefit. As Alan noted, our performance has put us in position to be able to double our quarterly dividend and also has allowed us to further strengthen our balance sheet. During the quarter, we paid down in full the revolving portion of our asset-based loan, continued to use internally generated funds for the final stages of our major capital plan, and ended the quarter with $247 million of available cash, a balance that has grown significantly since quarter end and continues to grow weekly. This notable improvement in our cash position and the overall increase in our liquidity positions us well to fund our capital expenditures plan through operations and to explore and evaluate various capital allocation alternatives, one of which is the increased dividend announced today. As we have noted in the past, our management team is fully aligned with the interests of our shareholders and we will continue to monitor the market and listen to advice of leading experts and will make decisions in this regard at the appropriate time. We are pleased that the full benefits of the blast furnace upgrade and other strategic investments are being realized and increases in our production levels are translating into increased shipments in 2021. Our first two full quarters since completing the Blasterence project have seen consistent levels of shipments, with the second quarter coming in at 679,000 tons, up modestly from the first quarter. Going forward, we expect third quarter volumes to remain in line with our strong shipping levels of the quarter we recently completed. We continue to monitor developments with respect to the COVID pandemic and the ongoing recovery. We are pleased with our company's ability to respond and the resilience of our Employees throughout this challenging period and hope that we can continue to take significant strides forward in collaboration with our customers as we collectively participate in the ongoing economic recovery. Overall, the second quarter built upon the success we achieved in Q1 and we are excited to have been able to once again deliver record results and to be able to translate that success into heightened dividends for our shareholders. Going forward, we will stay true to our strategy, our principles, and our values, regardless of pricing levels or the state of the market. We will maintain a strong balance sheet. We will utilize our tactical flexibility model to pursue the highest possible margins across all product lines, and we will deploy our capital in a responsible manner that benefits all of our shareholders. These are the tools that have contributed to our success, and we will not deviate from them. By staying true to these commitments and taking full advantage of market opportunities as they arise, I am confident that we will continue to deliver successful outcomes. Thank you for taking the time today to join our call.
2: Thank you, Alan and Paul. That concludes our prepared remarks for this morning, and I would now like to turn the call back over to the operator for questions and answers. Operator.
1: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. As a reminder, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Should you have a question, please press star, followed by one on your touch-tone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from David Gagliano,
4: BMO. David, please go ahead. David, your line is open.
5: Uh, Well, on um, pricing, obviously very good quarter. Um, but when we look at, uh, um, you know, index pricing and, you know, things like that, it, it, it does, at least in my view, and it's in your slide deck as well, suggest there's quite a bit more upside as we go through, you know, the second half of the year. Um, so my first question is, any any reason realized prices should not be over, you know, $2,000 Canadian by the fourth quarter?
6: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
4: Sorry. Uh, yeah, David, how you just If you look at how we've
3: been tracking... Uh, for the year, uh, always because demand is good and the lead times are long, and we 're running about three months three, selling basically three months before the quarter um, and selling when you look back uh, roughly close to the uh, to the index, um, so the answer to your question is no, there is no reason uh, why we shouldn 't see that the current c r u is eighteen sixty four you multiply that by one point two five and you know you're you 're over two thousand Canadian dollars so um no there's no reason why that shouldn't be um realized
5: okay that's helpful thank you and then just um you know one of the one of the bigger questions is what are you going to do with that big pile of cash i know last quarter there was more commentary about um you know shareholder returns um with a bit more of an em- emphasis on uh, buybacks um i'm wondering if you could you know share additional thoughts and details on um you know how investors sh- should be expecting or what investors should be expecting um, as we move through the next six months with that pile of cash?
3: Yeah, um, you know, consistent with what we said at the last uh, call, um, we we expected to start building up a lot of cash. We are building up a lot of cash, uh, continuing to do so, expect to build more cash. Um, what we said at that time was we expected to be able to uh, outline what we're going to do with that. This is a monumental uh, opportunity for us to have some meaningful things that should impact share price in a very positive way. Uh, and so I think we said last time that we would have uh, some news on that uh, towards the, uh, you know, during the third quarter and the latter part of that quarter and uh, consistent with the time that we outlined last quarter, we expect uh, to be in position to make an announcement, um, you know, when we have an announcement <clears throat> to be made, you know, just to remind everybody, um, you know, uh, we, we all benefit from a better share price. Um, you know, based on the performance, uh, we continue, we continue to consider the shares to be, um, you know, not at price at the right price. And, um, what our plan is, uh, is to, uh, to hopefully uh, say something and then, you know, before the end of this quarter and, um, you know, the management of this team, uh, the management of this company, uh, is, uh, collectively, you know, probably the biggest shareholder, um, in, in this company and no one's more motivated than us. And, you know, we expect to, uh, you know, expect to uh, be able to uh, do the right thing for you know all shareholders, um, including you know the management shareholders as well. And uh, so, uh, like I said last quarter, uh, let's uh, hang on to your hats and we'll have hopefully something here in the next uh, few weeks.
5: Okay, just a quick follow-up on that. As, as you assess the uh, the opportunities out there and considering you know the implied valuation of of you know telco shares um you know can can you prioritize the uh the plans for the cash in terms of uh between its you know re- whether it's buying back stock or or inorganic investments um or organic investments um what would the likely uh pecking order be
3: um look i i think probably at this point uh, the uh, inorganic investments are probably um you know, probably not top of our list. We, 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 uh, you know, we are, we believe we've got, just look at our margins this quarter. I mean, what, what could we buy that would uh, enhance those margins? I I don't know of it. Um, So, um, you know, maybe, maybe put that one off the list for now. And, um, uh, you know, we'll certainly uh, can't get more specific at this point, except to say that whatever we do, you know, we want to do it in a big way and do it in a way that'll be meaningful. And, you know, we'll make
4: announcements, as and when we're prepared to
5: do it. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks. I'll get back in the queue. Thank you.
4: Thank you. you. Your next
1: question comes from David Ocampo, Cormark Securities. David, please go ahead.
7: Uh, Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Maybe I could follow up a little bit on on David's line of questions there. Um, And and when I think about your your cash balance and and it's building up here, is, is there a minimum cash balance that you're comfortable with so we can sort of get a sense on on what that capital distribution could look like
4: Well
3: look we always like to keep a certain you know our our goal is to keep our uh balance sheet debt free we think that that sets us apart from you know from uh most of our competition that have built their businesses with a lot of debt and are saddled with a lot of legacy liabilities so in our case, all of our legacy liabilities are not on the balance sheet uh, in the sense of obligation. We have no, we have no um, you know, exposure whatsoever to any actuarial changes or anything like that. And the same with debt. We try and keep our debt very, very low. Um, you know, we, we, that served us well during COVID. Um, we had a situation where during COVID, smack in the middle of COVID, when everyone was hanging on to every dollar, we were able to go and spend 150 million dollars on our blast furnace, and we were also able to uh, do the MinTech agreement. Um, uh, so, you know, that served us well to act at a time when the market looked like it was falling apart. So, you know, our strategy is to stay highly liquid, um, to take advantage of opportunities when they arise, and so, um, you know, we look at cash the same. Our preference is to have no debt, uh, to stay unique, uh, keep enough cash on hand to be able to um, uh, to be able to act. Uh, decisively and and in big ways during during markets and opportunities that present themselves. Having said that, um, you know, our expectations are uh, based on the earnings uh, and the pricing and everything else, that we're going to generate significantly more cash than, than, you know, what we think we need um, to keep on the balance sheet. And uh, you know, our our plans are to use that for something that would be helpful in making the share price, you know, reach a value that, uh, you know, where we think it belongs to be.
4: Yeah, that's that's very helpful. And then
7: my next question is on on the the cost structure here, with with the coke battery, you know, um, largely finished here, and, and the cogen coming online in Q two. Can you provide us with an update on on you know how much your cost structure can be reduced on a per ton basis?
3: Um, yeah, we we think there's another roughly uh, between the two of them, roughly. Um, at 15 bucks a ton, or something like that. Now I know that sounds like a ridiculously small number, and when week after week CRU is going up by 20 to 40 bucks, um, but uh, I think that's one of the beauties of the of the culture at Stelco. We continue to focus uh, in every department on things that we can control. And these two projects were announced at a time when steel prices were considerably lower than where they are today, uh, but we still continue to go with that. And I think that's one of the beauties of this company, you know, the fact that, you know, it, it sounds like it doesn't move the needle in a almost $1,900 price environment. But, um, you know, I think that's the beauty of this company. Our sales guys are out doing what they can do on their side, Our purchasing people looking to save every single nickel on that side, and our operations people are looking to save every single nickel they can on, on the production side. Um, and, um, you know, so that's, uh, you know, it's, I, I think there's... Is that how much we save, which is great. We're already in a you know leading position there, as you can see from our margins. Um, but also on top of it, um, you get to you really get to see the culture of the company, which is to literally you know chase nickels because that's what this business is about ultimately in the long term.
7: That's my take. Thanks.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you. Your next question comes from Alex Jackson, RBC. Alex, please go ahead
7: yeah morning thanks guys for taking my question Uh, i'm just curious uh, on the land package i know you guys have given updates previously um you know i'm just curious if there's any any updates now you know in terms of the severance and you know when we might get uh, an update on that in terms of potential disposition thanks
3: sure the the uh, only update on that is that we continue to work with the city uh we've had some good very productive conversations they remain very interested in seeing the site of hamilton those of you who've been there know that when you cross that bridge from burlington the very first thing you see is uh, our plant and uh the, that land uh and uh that's something that's uh, both in our interest and the city interest to get done uh the, the discussions are constructive um and uh, continue to move along those paths and very confident that uh that we'll be able to uh, get what we need in order to move forward with, uh, with our plans for the land. Um, the good news is that while it's taken a lot of time and more time than what we needed, um, this land just continues to increase in value. Uh, a lot of people uh, have uh, demonstrated interest in this. Uh, just in general, with the interest rate environment being lower, cap rates having dropped, and the you know incredible appetite for the very perfect uses for this land, which include um, studios, uh, data centers, um, last mile delivery centers, distribution warehouses. I mean, that's exactly what this land uh, could be used for, uh, you know, in a very, in a very uh, profitable way. And so, with cap rates dropping, you know, ample liquidity. Uh, the longer this takes, uh, the more valuable the land takes. And at the same time, we're, um, we're, uh, you know, moving forward with, um, you know, with those discussions with the city, and you know, they're definitely much more frequent and much more productive, and continuing to make progress. Uh, along the lines of what we had said last quarter.
7: Thanks, Alan. Just one other one. In terms of the ship tons, the breakdown between HRC coated and cold rolled, I was curious if there, you know, you expect to see any sort of change uh, in that breakdown and if there's potential upside in terms of your realized pricing. Thanks.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, we, what we do, uh, I think, what, again, another distinguishing part of this company's uh, strategy is what we call tactical flexibility. Uh, and tactile, tactical flexibility is our ability to shift uh, from one product to the next very quickly, be present in all markets, be able to shift production in all, each of those, and maximize profitability. Um, so uh, I would say two things. One, if you look at the average sales price, it comes out to uh, 1292 which is a hair over $1,000 a ton for all products, whereas the current market price uh, for CRU now is uh, 1880 So there's clearly enormous upside between what was uh, booked in Q2, which was probably sold at the end of 2020 uh, and early 2021, um, so back in those days when the market price was lower, that's what you're seeing reflected in the current quarter. You know, right now with the CRU having gone up, um, you know, uh, you can see what what it would be realized. Uh, you know, if we were to sell product today, uh, you know, also into the Q into Q4. So yeah, enormous upside uh, to the current earnings based on. The mark-to-market, um, you know, specifically, 1092 we don't break down the, the price of all products, but obviously the HRC portion of that was lower. Um, and, you know, if you add $800 U.S., that's almost $1,000 Canadian on top of that. You can pretty much mark-to-market um, what our earnings profile would be if we sold things today uh, as compared to what we did in, you know, uh, that was reported this quarter uh, simply by doing that math. So, there's upside in two, two uh, uh, respects. One, the CRU is higher, um, market's much higher, obviously. And, you know, and and on top of that, uh, probably some further price appreciation on um, downstream evaluated products as well. Thanks a lot. That's all
1: for me. Thank you. Your next question comes from Tristan Gresser, Exane BNP Paribas. Tristan, please go ahead.
8: Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my questions. Uh, the first one, maybe on working capital. Uh, can you give us a sense of what you would expect in Q3 and maybe in H2, uh, given that you see a pricing higher prices, flowing stable volumes. Uh,
4: what, what are your expectation there? Yeah. Hey, Tristan. It's Paul. So,
0: so for working capital, I mean, as as, as you know. Uh, as we go through the year, our raw materials inventory increases a little bit heading into into the winter season, Um, the rest of our inventory should be relatively static. So the change you're going to see is really on the receivable. And the way I think about that is when you look at really our ASP in the last month of the quarter uh, versus our ASP in the last month of the prior quarter, that's when you should get something approximating our change in receivables because. As we said we're expecting shipments to be about level um so it's really going to be kind of the exit asp because we sell on on 30-day terms typically uh so to you know not 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 to be too precise on it but you're going to see a pretty significant uptick this quarter uh with with selling prices given what's what's been going on with cru over the last few months
4: all right
8: that's uh so um it could be higher than uh Thank you, 2 then, uh, if, if I uh, understand you correctly.
0: At this
4: point, I'd be shocked if it wasn't a fair bit higher.
8: All right, uh, that's uh, that's helpful.
4: Um, my,
8: my second question is a bit more on, on um, decarbonization. I mean, two two of your closest peers have announced getting funding to build EF and DRI plans to cut their their carbon emissions, and... I was just wondering do, when you look at capital allocation, is decarbonization at all on the agenda? Uh, if you, if you any discussion with the Canadian government for for any investment there, um, and do you see any risk? I mean, competitive risk to to, lose to competitors that can offer a lower carbon steel as well. Um, so yeah, you, your thoughts on that would, would be appreciated.
3: Sure. Um... You know, first off, um, let me say the following. Canada has the lowest uh, output per ton of carbon of any country in the entire world. Um, So when we start with Canada, Canada starts from a position of already being the lowest cost emitter of carbon. Um, Secondly, you know, absolutely. Every steel company that's out there today knows that uh, carbon reduction uh, is something that um, uh, people want to see. And we are working on our own plan. It, it will be different than what you've seen from the other um, competitors, uh, and uh, we think it will be better. Uh, we also think that um, you know we can do it without government funding better, because um, you know the government funding is uh, is, a, is a loan. It's not it's not a grant. You got to pay it back. And you know we uh, you know consistent with our policy of keeping a clean balance sheet. Uh, you know taking debt from the government is not not our preferred approach. Uh, That doesn't mean we won't do it if it becomes the best source of financing. But at the moment, um, you know, we are certainly moving uh, along. uh, We have an existing pathway of carbon reduction. It's certainly high on our agenda. And we want to make sure we do things uh, smart and efficiently, consistent with our capital capital
4: program, and consistent with our approach to our balance sheet. All right. That's uh, very clear. Thank you. Thank you. Your next
1: question comes from Michael Scotia Bank. Michael, please go ahead.
9: Uh, hey, good morning, guys. <clears throat> uh, I guess maybe more of a curiosity question on hedges. Um, you know, certainly up to this point, HRC has surprised um, essentially everybody to the upside. But you know, when I look at the futures curve, I see an opportunity for Stelco to essentially lock up strong free cash flow potential I- into 2022. And, you know, while I can't say where HRC prices were I I would say that your share prices uh or your share pre- is is pricing in HRC well below the futures curve. So with that context, I mean why not, you know, go out there, lock up some um hedges, secure higher free cash flow and, and commit to more buybacks?
3: Well, um, you know, uh in terms of the first part of your question on on the hedging. Um you know, we think the forward curve is just way too low. We're looking at 1884 uh, today uh, for uh, for prices, and you know, next year the average is. Uh, if you look at the market, uh, as you're saying, it's it's fairly healthy on historical uh, uh, terms in terms of. Uh, I think the average is out to 1250 or something for the for the year next year. That's U.S. dollars, but you know, it's 35% lower than the current market, and um, you know, we we think that prices are going to go. Uh, Higher, stay stronger. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in the market I don't think that people really understand. I think we're going to see prices continue to go up uh, if we do decide to hedge later on. It's not something I'm planning on doing now, but I think it's a long, long way down um, from where we are today to what the forward curve presents, and I think we're better off not hedging.
9: Interesting comments.
3: Uh, thanks, Alan.
9: And, and I guess, I mean, based on those comments, you don't see steel pricing normalizing at any point through 2022 is that fair and i guess if if that is fair i mean what point do you expect steel pricing to to normalize maybe a little bit more thoroughly
3: well i mean i i think the first question is what's normal um you know we think that uh that things are changing uh the previous question that came in was about decarbonization there's been a big shift to eaf production eaf production is based on scrap scrap uh, already is short it's going to get shorter as people transition to EAF production, as more EAF production comes on, and so uh, that means that scrap goes higher, steel prices stay higher, and, and normal becomes a newly defined term. I, I don't know if it's going to be uh, $1,800, 2,000, or it's going to be fifteen hundred or fourteen hundred, but I don't think the days of uh, of uh, steel prices uh, where they were, you know, are, are relevant anymore. Um, you know, we built this business around this thesis. It's not something new. Um, I've been talking about this for three years. Um, what's what, how cost uh, is going to go up, how the market is moving. What I did not realize at the time was the incredible uh, movement of China and other overseas, um, countries moving into production. Um, there is just so people understand there's 2 billion tons of steel production is 200 million tons, roughly of scrap availability for that market. So, you know, the market is rapidly moving to more and more EAF production, uh, for good reason. Uh, a lot of it having to do with decarbonization, and uh, that trend will not change. And I think the squeeze on scrap continues to go up. Today we're looking at busheling futures that are over $700 a ton, um, and you know these guys uh, in the EAF need to make 250 on top of that. So you're looking at, you know, is a thousand the new normal? I don't know what the new normal is. Uh, but I don't think the, the old pricing, what you're saying, historical norms are, are relevant anymore. And so uh, I think we need to get people uh, accustomed to to what things actually cost in terms of steel production, in terms of return on capital. Um, companies need to get both, return on capital and, and cover their variable costs. And, you know, so we think we're entering into a, a, a new period of time. I'm not sitting here saying the current pricing is the is normal. I, I don't want to say that. Um, certainly enjoying it. But I don't think that the lows are going to be anything like what they used to look like. And I think that the world it needs to get used to it. And, in fact, when we talk to our customers, whether they're auto customers, pipe customers, other customers, they acknowledge us. And they've had no problems passing this um, uh, downstream to, the, to, their, to their customers as well. So I think this is something that's very, very important to understand. And it really also goes back to the hedging question, like what is the right price? And, um, you know, we think we're really, really well positioned. Uh, to enjoy exceptional uh, profits for many years based on, you know, how we see the market develop. And, you know, I I think it feels great to be able to say, look, we kind of called this a few years ago, took a lot of guts to make the investments that we made uh, both in terms of raw materials uh, into the blast furnace, you know, at at a time where everything looked like the world was coming to a bleak end about a year ago. Um, But we had confidence in what we had, you know, uh, what we had, um, you know, what we decided would be the right business plan and and, and thesis on the market, you know, that we developed two or three years ago. And now it's playing out. And I think it's too early to decide, you know, what is the new normal price? I can make all kinds of cases. I could be right, I could be wrong. But um, so far, we've called it right. And, you know, we just think we need to let time play out. It's a long, long way away uh, where we get into a place where we're not going to make exceptional profits But from the pricing today. Um, You know, even looking at the curve we would make, you know, tremendous amount of money next year, as the prior caller uh, uh, suggested. But we just don't know, you know, where the new normal settles out. And the market is saying, uh, continue to be short, inventory to lean. We have an infrastructure bill coming. Don't forget, this is all in the context of uh, an auto, auto production that is um, uh, that is restrained from the chip shortage. You know, wait till that loosens up. So who knows where this goes, and we're just going to continue to ride it for now. And, uh, and enjoy the ride, but continue to, you know, like I said before, save nickels wherever we can, and really look to deploy our capital in a way to really maximize and get, you know, get our company valued the right way.
4: That's great. Thanks, Alan. Very
3: interesting. Nicely done. Um, obviously.
1: Thank you. Your next question comes from Kurt Woodworth, Credit Suisse. Kurt, please go ahead
7: yeah thanks good morning. Uh, Alan. I wonder if you could talk to kind of longer term uh, capital spending plans for the company do you, Do you see scope for any um you know more modular type investments, be it value add finishing lines um, anything ancillary to that
3: uh, yeah we, we we certainly do. We're looking at a whole bunch of things right now, but i want to be you know I want to tell you how we measure capital versus how I think other people measure capital. Um, you know, someone may say, hey, I could make and I'll just use it as an example. I can make galvanized steel for X and I can sell it for Y. Um, we look at it as what are we actually getting for the marginal uh operations, right? There's yield loss, and of course the yield loss grows as the market goes higher because it you're losing the same tons with a higher price uh when when you when you're you know when you make that calculation because you're in a higher market. So as the prices go up, the spread between HRC and other downstream products has to get bigger can't stay the same. And we measure, measure the capital returns on that marginal improvement, you know, taking into account yield loss. So, you know, and then we have 30% uh, RO, you know, return on invested capital. That That is an internal threshold that we have. So we're very, very disciplined in that. Having said that, um, we are focused on a number of opportunities that we think are, you know, could have meaningful um, uh, impact to the company's, um, uh, uh, you know revenue and profits, and we're focused on that and and, and that's what we do all day. Uh, you know it's too easy to sit and make uh, you know steal for what we make it and just sell it into the market that's obviously easy. I mean what we do, this management team is constantly looking for ways to uh, on one hand cut costs, but on the other hand,
4: look to increase revenues, increase profits, and you know we're continuing to do that okay. What would be – can you give any rough guidance on 2022 CapEx at this point?
3: Yes. Um, you know, I think we've said before that our big capital plan uh, is, uh, is uh, over this year. Um, you know, we've, I think, we've invested seven eight $800 million into this facility since I bought this company in the middle of 2017. Um, you know, we are uh, – we're going to go to maintenance mode next year, $85 million. That's That's the guidance I can give. Uh, if we do uh, decide to do any special projects, that would be in addition to that, uh, and we'll make those announcements as they come. But for now, you know, I think you can put in the maintenance number.
4: Okay.
7: I mean, do, do you think it's likely you're going to add more downstream finishing
3: value-add processing in the next one to two years? Um, I mean, we pretty much have the full suite of what we, what we need right now. I mean, we're able to meet. The, the, the customer's most stringent demands um so i don't see anything that's compelling us to do that right now i don't rule it out if the right opportunity comes around but right now uh as you can see we're having no problem selling all the steel we need to produce at industry leading margins and so um you know whatever we would do would have to um would have to uh, be even more compelling more profitable uh, i don't see anything specifically on the downstream side right now uh that um you know that uh, that is compelling enough to beat the returns we're doing right now.
7: And are are you contemplating adding an electric arc at some point in the future?
3: Well, I mean, look, we 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 we're, we're uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll make announcements on investments uh, you know, when, you know, when if we do, but I think you can tell from our other comments uh that we've made so far today, um, you know, the electric arc business uh is is challenged because of its raw material uh, supply. We consider that to be an opportunity for Stelco. So, you know, uh, if we would go in that uh, um, you know, direction, it certainly wouldn't be of, hey, let's go short scrap. Uh, it would be something that would be more uh, well-planned and um, and more specific about, okay, we can go build an electric arc furnace, but what the heck are we putting in it? And make sure that we, uh, we cover that too. So, I think we'll be very thoughtful about what we do. We don't rule anything out, um, but you know uh we try and do things a little differently here than everybody else
7: would it make sense to um maybe convert hamilton to a pig iron facility to feed into an electric arc or do you I know in the past you said you don't have any any plans to be a merchant pig iron producer but could that be something uh that could occur
3: look to make pig iron you need more
4: iron ore and um you know that's got its own constraints so yeah. all right guys okay. we're uh, over the time we'll here see. um <laughs> so uh, first of all, i wanna just thank everybody
3: for uh for your participation today and um you know we got a lot of great things going, and uh you know we're always happy to um meet our investors um you know through meetings and uh I'm sure uh Uh, Love love the input, love the support, and looking forward to uh, more great times ahead. So thank you
1: very much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines.
4: At Parker, our
9: purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward.